Brian Peck has spent several successful years in music radio, most recently at WLSFM, and he also does traffic at WBBM News Radio. This is from a live stream that we did. I met you at WBBM and I didn't know who you were. I'm very sorry. But I then you told That's me. It's okay. Most people don't. <laughs> You've okay. First of all, you look like 30, but I know you're. you're oh, older, please. <laughs> I'm I am 62 and feeling every bit of it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But, so what's uh, your secret to staying young? Yeah. Well, uh, first off, uh, five kids, four grandkids. That'll do it right there. And um, that keeps me young. Plus this business, doesn't it? Doesn't yeah. Why it do you think that is? Because I met other people. I met people in their 70s who seem a lot younger. Well, OK. Um, being that I've done mostly top 40 right. and you know, classic hits type formats for most of my career. We're kind of immature as people. (laughs) (laughs) And I married a child psychologist. So that works out really well since I still act like a child. (laughs) So um, it works out well. No, but what do you, what do you think it is about this business? Like, uh, cause is it because people enjoy it? Because I mean, now the my, business is my very wife different. is staring at me now. She just came into the room and it's like, what are you even talking about? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, is it because you think people enjoy it? Because I know that the business, everybody tells me the business has changed. It's very corporate. It's boring. It used to be so fun, which and then my counter is, yeah, was it fun that the guys were saying things and get or doing things and saying things and getting away with it? And of course, some of the women were, too. So but what do you think it is about the business? Well, first off, everything you just said is true. All of it. Um, It was much more fun back in the 80s when I was in Detroit back then. And and it was. But there were there were so many bad things about it back then. Uh, There was a lot of payola going on. Mm -hmm. I was a program director back in the 80s at a top 40 station that was well known throughout the country at the time because of my morning guy, not anything to do with me, but our morning guy, we were paying a million dollars a year at the time. And back in the 80s, that was a lot of money. That's a now lot. It's like a billion. Lot of money. <laughs> well, now, yeah, even I mean, shoot, if I were even making. Yeah, if I were even making X, I'd still be making good money. But yeah, a million dollars back then was incredible. Yeah, I would sign off on. We paid him monthly. It's Dick Purton, by the way, in Detroit. Anybody from Detroit knows Dick Purton. He was the Johnny Carson of uh, radio. Oh, for you millennials, Johnny Carson was a night show host (laughs) before Jimmy Kimmel. Um, He was the Jimmy Kimmel of radio. Uh, But um, I would sign off on his paychecks every month and his monthly checks were way more than I made in a whole year. Um, But he was worth every penny of it. But back then, to get back to your your question. It was so much fun back then, but there was so much payola involved. In fact, ABC did a big story and I was young. I was like uh, 26 years old when I was programming uh, this huge station. And I didn't know what I was doing, but it didn't matter because I had the best morning guy in the world. And um, ABC did a story on payola and payola, you know, to pay to have records play for those who don't know. Um, and it's illegal, but many program directors were doing that back then. And I had plenty of offers, uh, but I was the only one that would give an interview to ABC about this because everybody else, well, I'm not going to say they were on the take, but uh, 
um, they didn't want to be interviewed. And Maybe. most were under FBI investigation in my market at the time. Wait, ABC, you mean ABC National News is doing an investigation? No, this was, uh, well, it was the local ABC station. It was WXYZ in Detroit. And the reporter was Gene Taylor. Full disclosure, Gene Taylor was also our morning show producer at the radio station. And in fact, he made a ton of money at ABC, the ABC station there back in the 80s um, as a reporter. And then I paid him 90000 to produce for Dick Purton. Wow. And then Dick Purton paid him even more. Wow. On top of that, out of his salary, because Wait, why did why did he pay him more? How come how come he got a salary from you? And then, well, because Gene Taylor was probably the best radio producer ever. He wrote wonderful comedy. He was a stand up comedian. He was uh, just a, a brilliant uh, producer. So, yeah, we we paid him a lot of money to uh, make sure Dick Purton show stayed number one. And it was number one all the time. It made my job so easy as a program director. But anyway, I digress. Uh, yeah, it was so much fun back then, but there were so many drugs involved, payola. Um, yeah, so many things wrong with the business, but at least radio itself, I thought was way better back then. What, what made a good producer back then? Well, uh, first off, Dick Purton had guests on constantly. He was a, a comedy show. Right. It was um, very local. We had a mayor. Uh, Coleman A. Young was our mayor. He was uh, about 72 years old at the time, but he had shady deals going. Oh. Not saying if they were true or not, but he got he was in the news constantly. So Dick Purton had um, one of his voice characters that would do Coleman A. Young, and he did it to a spitting image of Coleman himself. Wow. And one day, uh, Coleman A. Young, the mayor, actually called in on the show as a joke. And so both were doing the voice and Dick Purton didn't know it. Um, but anyway, these were the kind of things that Gene Taylor would set up. We had Casey Kaseman and we had Jim Oaks uh, in Casey, by the way, was good friends with Dick Purton and Jim Oaks, one of our voice guys, did Casey so good. He, he was even on the Tonight Show at one time and Johnny Carson was asking him, well, who does the best impression? And, and Casey Kasem even said, well, there's a guy in uh, Detroit, Jim Oaks, who does me, who's spot on. Wow. And in fact, they would be on at the same time talking to each other and you couldn't tell the difference between the two. But uh, Gene Taylor would sit next to Dick Purton and he would constantly feed him lines uh, to, to live interviews, you know, good just punch lines and things to ask. And well, that's a good producer. And he would bring in the best guest we would have everybody on that show. It was just incredible. And it, it was really when radio was so good and so live, mm -hmm. you know, today we, most of our voice, uh, our uh, music stations are voice tracked. None of them are live anymore. Hardly mm -hmm. just a few. Uh, that's why it's so refreshing to be at BBM. I'm doing uh, live traffic reports and I'm like, I haven't done live radio in so long. This is so hard. Um, but uh, I think live radio was so much better, don't you? 
It was. Yeah. I mean, as a listener, it spontaneous. It just sounds like the business. I know people say it was really fun, but it just sounds like the business was it had a lot of dysfunction in it. And I know it's great. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So you sort of had to put that aside and be in the business. It seems like if you had different sensibilities. Yeah, well, it was and it was tough because it was very political, too. Well, it is today as well. It was political, like uh, political. um, You mean like uh, office politics? Office politics. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And political the other way, depending on what format you were working. But um, it was just so, you know, uh, a lot of backstabbing in the business back then. It was a it was a bigger deal. Radio was so much more relevant back then. You know, I mean, everybody listened to the radio, Mm -hmm. Uh, even uh, those uh, the, the millennials today back then that age group listen to radio, you know, and everything you did uh, had an impact. You know, you, you, you really were a part of the community and everybody, you know, listened to radio back then. We didn't have Facebook and all these other digital, um, you know, music out uh, uh, sources and um, radio was it. That was it for your music entertainment. Unless well, you had a Walkman. A Walkman was this little thing. No. <laughs> well, Walkman looked like it was. It literally played tapes and it just looked like a tape player, cassette player. And people put it in their ears and they walked around with it. Yes. Yes. That's what it's called, a Walkman. Exactly. But, but OK, so let's break it down for a second. It just sounds like radio, what it used to be. It used to be like just the entertainment business, like, you know, Hollywood was, you know, Hollywood has a lot of creative people in it. A lot of ideas, you know, being thrown out there and radio was too. It sounds like it was really, really important to be very creative and be cutting edge and be relevant. Yeah, it was. And, um, you know, you had a lot of competition, especially before uh, back in the early 90s, we came up with the Telecommunications Act. And basically what that said was um, that owners could own as many radio stations as they wanted to, TV, newspaper. And before, right before that, in the 80s, you were only allowed to own one AM, one FM station, and one newspaper, and one television station, if you were a big company, in each market. So it made it incredibly competitive. You know, back in uh, the 80s in Detroit, when Top 40 uh, pop radio was the big format, um, we had three different stations that had that format. And so you had to be great. And it was a big competition. There were a lot of advertising dollars going for that same demo. So you had to be really good or you didn't survive. But now, you know, it's so watered down because owners can own as many as they want and jobs were eliminated. So you'd have one program director looking over all these different radio stations. And now you have uh, radio personalities that are at one station and then they voice track for many other stations, eliminating more jobs. And when they were selling that uh, Telecommunications Act bill back in the early 90s, oh, no, 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 it will create more jobs. And, you know, of course, we were all screaming, no, this is going to eliminate jobs. And of course it did. Okay, so 
Why did they want that passed? And why did they say there would be more jobs created? Because of corporate America, the big companies, they made more money. They bought up more radio stations and had bigger control and could sell more uh, advertising, make more advertising dollars because they had all these numerous stations nationwide and within each big market, they could own as many as they wanted. So the big money corporations bought all these radio stations and, you know, then they kind of controlled the market because they'd have their top 40 station, their classic hit station, their rock station there. But they made sure they didn't compete with each other. So it kind of wa- watered down the business, if that makes sense. But then what's interesting is that they didn't make billions of dollars as a result of this. So we went into bankruptcy. Well, they did. But at, at first they, they did make big money and these big corporations were bringing in big cash. Then you had, you know, your clear channels now, iHeart and all these other big companies that, yeah, they got into trouble because radio stations, the value was so blown up. Um, You know, at one time, I remember even in the 2000s when I was at uh, Bonneville and now it's Hubbard, even 100.3, that particular frequency would have gone for $160 million. Is that not outrageous? I don't think they could get even a tenth of that now because the values have gone down because the income from all these stations, from the advertising has gone down because radio listening isn't as big as it was back then. But these stations had enormous values. And so that's, you know, they bought up all these stations at these big prices then it dropped and now they're all in bankruptcy trying to dig their way out. Well, what, back then when, well, first of all, I do know of some people who did have more independent stations and they became multimillionaires after they sold them. I mean, who wouldn't sure. want to sell Who wouldn't want to sell your station for millions of dollars and then you exactly. could do whatever you wanted. So, well, you know, it was uh, uh, you, you brought up uh, the drive. Um, and when I was with Bonneville, uh, they bought those frequencies or that one frequency, 96.9, because, you know, here, the drive here is 97.1. But when you drive up to uh, uh, Wisconsin, then you switch over to 96.9 and you can continue to listen. Like if we ever go to uh, Lake, oh, what's in uh, Wisconsin, the big uh, uh, Lake, uh, Lake Geneva. Geneva, Lake Geneva. Thank you. You switch over to 96.9 and you can listen to it even on the lake. But that was a ma and pa operation. They had that station forever and ever and ever. And we bought it for, I can't, I think that was about 150 million. I may be off on that, but it was way up there from that couple. And of course they retired very nicely. Yeah. Um, They were done with it, you know, and now those frequencies aren't worth anywhere near that. Yeah, but back then, so are you saying that they made a lot of money because advertising would, they would have no competition in the same market and then the advertising was more national or how did they work that out? Well, they are, it's national and local. You know, I, I mean, we sell even here, you know, for, well, for the company you and I work for, we sell um, national buys and then you have your local buys. Um, you know, you have your network and usually the network deals are 
kind of a barter thing. You know, you have different programs that you carry and then you have to have a couple of their spots, you know, and you, I mean, there are all different kinds of ways to do the national buys, but then you add your local buys to that. And back in the day, again, that made a lot of money. Revenue, no, revenue has dropped tremendously, and especially when, um, you know, the pandemic hit, uh, that really, whew, well, that hurt everybody. That hurt everybody, but especially radio stations. So when did you start in radio? Oh, boy, now I'm really dating myself. Uh, 1979. Whoa. And I was still in school. And uh, we played these things called records, vinyl. <laughs> no, vinyl is still popular among certain people. I know. It's like a hipster thing. Yeah. Yeah. My son in college goes to McGill in uh, Montreal. He loves vinyl. He has a record player in his room. And yeah, it's made a, it totally made a comeback, which I love. I'm so happy about that. But yeah, at my first station, we actually queued up records on turntables and uh, <laughs> played music from that. And I, I was still in school at the time and uh, actually was on a TV show uh, locally produced in Virginia. And it was Cobweb Theater with the Bowman body like Sven Gooley here. Uh, in Chicago, it was uh, Cobweb Theater there, and it was on all the cable stations throughout Virginia. We were on every Friday night, and uh, I was the Bowman Body's sidekick, Inspector Pitt, a British guy, and I had a horrible British accent, and I would come in and say, Pitt here, hello, Bowman, and we would do little bits. And uh, How did was, you get in? What's that? How did you get on into that? Well, uh, Bill Bowman who uh, was and is the Bowman body. He's still around in Virginia, not doing the Bowman body anymore, but he was a broadcaster. He was a TV producer uh, and director. And um, he got me, he was friends with my parents and he got me in the business. And I was going to uh, an engineering school in Virginia to do behind the scenes and television and camera work. And so Bill got me hooked up uh, with this company, Rust Home Productions in Virginia, and we produced the Cobweb Theater. So um, I ended up being a sidekick. I, I, I did voice for TV commercials we would produce back then. And um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, we had a good time. I made no money, didn't care because uh, we just had a good time. We would go to lunch and write our scripts on little napkins, and then we would go and produce the show. And it was mostly ad lib, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Never do that anymore, wow. uh, especially in television. Everything is all so planned out, but this was just all ad lib and fun, and it was a good time. And horrible movies uh, <laughs> we would do, yes. Right. And then how long did you do that for? Oh, it was short lived. Um, I was 19 years old. And so uh, that production company was hurting financially and a radio station offered me weekends in Virginia. And um, I was talking to Bill Bowman, the Bowman body. And he said, take it, take it, Pitt. And he would always call me Pitt. Take it, Pitt. You've got to take it. And so I did. And then the company did go under. And I worked two weeks, I think, at that station, and they offered me full time, and I stayed in radio. I, I had a blast doing it. Radio was so fun then. You know, you had to really think because 
nothing was digital today. We play our music digitally. But uh, back then you had to queue up records. You had to pull out your commercials and put them in little cart machines and and you had no free time. So you had to think constantly. It was it was fun. It was uh, silly, but fun. I had a good time doing it. Now, do you think it was fun also because you were young? Yes. You know, you're a teenager or was it yes. fun just because it really was fun? Both. I was young. I was a teenager and radio was so popular. And, you know, I could, uh, you know, people were excited that you did that. And they would come out to see you when you did appearances, you know, want to take pictures with you. And it was and I was such a young kid and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. And, and it really wasn't making much money back then, but I didn't care at all. Um, I just had such a good time doing it. I did it for the love of it. And then it did eventually pay, you know, went into, into uh, major markets and started making money back when radio paid really well. And um, it was a good time. And I, I liked it. I still like it today, even. So I do weekends at 94.7 WLS, which is classic hits. And all those songs were new when I played them on the radio back in Detroit in the 80s. So it's so it's so um, nostalgic for me and so much fun to still do that. And I, I do enjoy working at that station because they do a really good job. They're really good. We have really good on-air personalities there. Uh, Dave Fogel, Dave and Kim in the morning. And Dave and I have worked together at four different radio stations from back in the 80s in Detroit to here in Chicago. And we, I mean, we just have wonderful, wonderful personalities there and they have a good time. And he, by the way, he, he's still, he's still live in the morning. You know, I was talking about everybody voice tracking, but he's still live. And um, that's a good thing that keeps radio a little bit relevant still, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I still enjoy it. I do. You went, okay. So you just sort of skip over. Cause like you said, you went to oh. uh, Virginia and then you were in the major markets, but how did you get to the major markets? I mean, were okay. there a lot of, but were there a lot of people going for the same jobs and oh. super competitive? Okay. So what was that like? Wow. What was that yeah. like? I was blessed though. I, you know, Hey, uh, yeah, but it doesn't take also talent because it's not just, because well, there's sure. so many people going for sure. it. Sure. Yeah. It, it does take talent, but I was always the right place at the right time. So what does that mean? Thanks be to God. Just, you know, when openings came up and I happened to be working with someone who, you know, knew someone in a different market and they said, oh, this guy, this guy is who you should hire. Mm -hmm. And I would get hired. So when I was in Virginia, I was at Richmond, Virginia, in Richmond, Virginia. And um, so from there, I went to Columbus, Ohio, and it was a new adult contemporary station, adult contemporary formats back then, 1982 were or 1980, 81, 82, I think I was there in Columbus and worked at Sunny 95 and we became the biggest station there. And I was doing middays and it was a big deal for me because I was usually a night jock. And um, so I got this midday thing there and our ratings were great and I did well, but then it just didn't work out. I, I didn't get along with the new PD, the PD that hired me got fired. Then this new guy came in. This is where we talk about politics and the new guy and I butted heads. And I finally just went in and put in my resignation two weeks before Christmas. Cause I didn't want to work on Christmas day. And I left there 
And then I followed the PD that had hired me down to North Carolina and uh, worked at a rock station there, KZL, North Carolina's best rock. Uh, worked there a couple of years. And then in 1984, uh, I worked with Big Steve Kelly there briefly. We became friends. He went to Detroit to Z95.5, home of Dick Purton. And uh, then they needed a midday guy. And he said, oh, I, I have a guy. And so they flew me up. I interviewed at the airport. They hired me right there on the job. In fact, they had two contracts. Uh, my uh, Lee Douglas was the program director. He had two contracts in his uh, coat. And he said, we'll offer you this. And I said, oh, I was thinking more like this. And back then, by the way, it wasn't even that much back then. I, I don't care talking about it. He says, well, we'll give you 30 grand. Uh, and this was 1984. Uh, we'll give you 30 grand to do it. I said, well, you know, I was thinking more like, can, can we go up to 33? And he said, son of a bleep. I knew you were going to do that. Here you go. And he throws down the contract. And so you're hired. And I was like, great. That's how it worked back then. Now it's much more involved. And I went up to Detroit and then salary just went up, up, up. Um, the general sales manager was uh, Betty Pasternick. Uh, she was a wonderful woman who I got along really well with. And our GM and our program director, they transferred to one of our other markets. So she promoted me to program director. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. I'm the youngest major market top 40 program director in the country. How old were you? I was 25 when she uh, promoted me. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm in charge of this whole staff. My morning guy is Dick Purton. And of course, I really wasn't his boss. I couldn't tell him what to do. I would ask, Dick, we're doing this contest. Would you please promote this? At the and he was great. Uh, in fact, I was his favorite program director because I never tried to tell him what to do. When you pay your morning guy $1 million a year, he knows more than you do. Mm -hmm. Don't try to teach him how to do a morning show. And I never did. But why, anyway. do you think that she why do you think that she promoted you when you were so young? Well, because, you know, Betty and I got along really well and I would tell her my ideas. I said, oh, yeah, I think, you know, when she was general sales manager, I said, yeah, I wish we would do this. We could, you know, promote our station better if we would get out in the market and make more appearances. And, you know, I came up with all these ideas and we were just discussing because neither one of us was in control. It was just like, hey, yeah, this would be a great idea, wouldn't it? So she took a liking to me and she promoted me. In fact, the program director that was there at the time wanted to stay. She didn't like him at all because he did not help her out in the sales department. And uh, so she said, nope, you're out. And uh, I went by the name Brian Patrick back then. She said, Patrick is in. He's my guy. And all of a sudden, I'm this major market top 40 program director I'm interviewed in uh, radio and records, magazines, hits, magazines. They think I know what I'm doing. Uh, I fooled them well. Uh, but how did but, you learn how to do that job on the you fly? Know, you just went. I was I was young and I was a little cocky. I started to believe that I really knew more than I really did. Mm -hmm. But it kind of helped in a way because I broke some really big records. People back then. Radio made hits. 
uh, record companies would beg you to play their ra- uh, their ra- records on the radio. And that's where payola came in, where they were paying off program directors to play songs, uh, which is illegal. And I started, I had a really good ear for music. That was my one strength. I had a great ear for music. And there was, a, well, I'll tell you this story. My one claim to fame, I, uh, Freddie DeMann was uh, the manager of Billy Idol, Michael Jackson, uh, Madonna, Lionel Richie, all the big artists back then. And his assistant, Michael, I knew who would call me on records every once in a while. And in Detroit, this big uh, club record from Billy Idol, the song called Money Money was not a hit. It was not a hit. This was 1987. And I said, man, this is the biggest club record in Detroit. I guarantee you, if you guys re-release this song, it will be number one. And so but in the dance clubs, it was a hit. Oh, it was huge. It was I huge. love. Yeah. Detroit dance. Let's. Oh, it was they great. know what they were doing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We had some we had some great club DJs back yeah. then. But anyway, so Freddie told Michael to ask me, are you going to add it out of the box? That meant the first week it's out. You're putting it on the radio. You're reporting it to radio and records that you're playing it. Um, And I said, well, of course, this is my idea. I, of course, I'll play it out of the box. Ten weeks later, that song was number one in the country. And Billy Idol, by the way, my oldest son, who's big uh, Hollywood hotshot now working in the movie business. But he was only two weeks old. Billy Idol sent a platinum album as a thank you. Wow. to Jared Christopher Peck, my son, wow. uh, uh, in support of bringing that song back. And uh, it was number one in the country. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't all me. There were many program directors to, that agreed to re-release it. And uh, it, it was huge right out of the box and uh, became a big hit. You know, I just see some theme coming up here. Do you think that the key is to get along with people to make it in the media and Hollywood and so forth? Absolutely. You know, this is career 101 advice here. Never burn bridges. And especially in our business, you know, it's so small now because of, you know, so few companies now that own all the properties. You don't want to burn any bridges because that'll come back to haunt you. And I've known a lot of people who don't take that advice in this business. But I'll I'll get along with anybody. I have worked with some real doozies of bosses and stuff and some great bosses, too, uh, here in Chicago, especially. I've I've enjoyed all of my program directors and general managers. It's just been a joy here. But you never want to burn bridges. You know, our, I guess, market manager or market program director here, Greg, you know, he and I have worked together for over 20 years. So good thing I didn't burn that bridge. Yeah, uh, right. you know, he oversees all of our radio stations. Right. You're an extremely successful podcaster. I wouldn't in the say Catholic extremely yes, you successful. Are. No, because your numbers are incredible. They're okay. Oh. I, I hit 16,000 this month, but. Well, that's a lot. You know, that's a lot in podcasting. People are lucky if they have 200. So let me see our total number. See, but I've been doing it for two years. And that's I'm looking not long. Up- 300 and some thousand. That's a lot. Okay. But there, you know, that they're like a billion podcasts and it's very hard to get those numbers. So yes, I am in the top uh, 10% in the world. 
Yeah, I, see. What first of all, what is your podcast called? Your insanely popular. Okay, podcast. so um, my first one is the Catholic Word, and that's a uh, Rosary podcast, which is every single day. Um, it has become popular because those of us who love to pray the Rosary, um, there's a whole. I mean, there are groups there. Uh, that's a big thing. So uh, with us as Catholics. So that was pretty easy to build that one. The second one I have now is the Catholic word divine with the divine mercy chaplet prayer, but also with excerpts from St. Faustina's diary. Okay. For those who aren't Catholic, St. Faustina, long story short, was a nun who had visions of Jesus and the famous divine mercy painting of Jesus with the rays coming out of his chest. They're red and white representing blood and water. That came from St. Faustina. She wrote a diary about it and Jesus spoke to her and gave her all these sayings. So we take an excerpt of that diary and kind of meditate on that. And then we do the prayer. But anyway, that's how that works. Well, have you always been religious in the radio business while you're working? No, no, no. I was such a heathen. Uh, (laughs) I've only been a Catholic since Let's see. Pope Benedict was um, I was married before and I had to go through a marriage disillusion because long story short, I I couldn't get a uh, annulment. So the pope had to give me little old me a uh, marriage disillusion for me to get into the Catholic Church. Uh, so Pope Benedict was a uh, Pope at the time and it took a year and a half. So by the time I got approved, it was Pope Francis who signed off on my dissolution. So I've only been Catholic since Pope Francis, uh, became Pope. Uh, now I teach RCIA. Well, basically it's basically, um, if people want to become Catholic and they're adult, they go through to these learn. classes. Yeah. yeah. You have to take the classes. Yeah. So I'm just wondering now. If you were working in radio back when it was fun and you believe what you do now, how would you perceive it? Perceive it or perceive me? Perceive radio, the business back when it was fun, payola, all these. Oh, you know, I mean, back then when you said it was all fun, it was wicked. And even though I was I was the clean program director uh, who didn't accept payola because I didn't. And uh, and I was offered a lot. Money. Can you just say what you were offered? Yeah, tell yeah. us what you're offered. Uh, yeah, I'll break it down for you. In fact, uh, had to we had to fire one of our receptionists because it was so big business. Every one of my ads, my music, when I would add a new song each week, they were worth to the record company one thousand five hundred dollars to the promoters who were trying to get stations to play it. So if one of those independents would get me to play the record, they would get $1,500 for that one song. So what the independents would do, they would come to me and say, tell you what, we'll split. It's $1,500 an ad. You're doing about three a week. So we'll just send you cash and a birthday card. No one's the wiser. And of course I didn't. They'd offer you Drugs. What what made you, sorry, before you tell us everything else you're offered, what made you deny it? Well, even though I wasn't Catholic, I was still religious, but you were ethical. I loved the business. I didn't want to pollute the business. I I loved, I didn't need that. I made enough. I I wasn't rich, but I made enough. And I 
I, I love doing what I did. I didn't want to be paid for playing records and, and especially records I didn't want to play. And so I didn't do it. But uh, one of our receptionists was getting paid off. She was getting paid and she would get my list of songs I was about to because I would give her. These are the songs who are adding, call it into the record companies. And so they would be reported. Well, if the independents reported them before, they would get credit. Oh, I got them to play wow. this. Wow. So they would get paid. And, you know, three records, that's $4,500 for that week. So my receptionist was getting paid off to call the independent, one of the local guys. And so we had to let her go because these independents would come in and they would wait in the parking lot and say, hey, 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 if you'll give me those lists. I will pay you this in cash. Wow. And it was, a, I mean, it was, it was nasty. It was a dirty business. A lot of drugs, a lot of... Uh, yeah, what else did they offer you in payola? They offered you money. Women. Well, they well, what, okay. So they would say, "We'll hook you up with this person." Mm -hmm. Very expensive prostitutes. Oh, prostitutes. Yeah, okay. It was dirty. It was dirty, and I and never then you did. Said, I can tell you honestly. Right. I, and, and and understand, I'm a uh, 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 hypochondriac. I, I, I such a germaphobe. I I would never. Oh my God, that would terrify me. But there was, I remember being out in LA and we were producing new jingles and I was at this jingle company, but at my hotel, I, I was staying right on the Universal Studios uh, property. And one of the uh, record reps sent two very expensive prostitutes to my room and uh, did not let them in. And uh, just as a, yeah, hey, just so, you know, down the road and but it was nasty. Oh, that was an ugly business, but fun. Right. It didn't get involved in that. And I didn't. So it was fun. But when the, when the people came to your hotel, did you get a phone call saying there are two people here to see you or were they no. sent up or came to the hotel door? Okay. To the door. And oh my gosh, my, you know, I, I think I broke out in hives. I was so <laughs> I was so terrified. I didn't know what to do. I even called my wife at the time and told her what happened. But it uh, anyway. Um, and then you said also drugs. They offered you drugs. Oh, sure, sure. Cocaine was big back then. And uh, so you were always offered that. And also, you know, you, you always went out to dinner and lunch with these guys, which was legal. You could you could go out to lunch and they could buy you lunch and dinner. And that was fine. But I had a, a like my general manager. She told me, she says, well, you have a budget to take people out for lunch as a, the program director. I said, well, Betty, I don't have to use it because everybody's taking me out. She says, well, just take your wife out and kids and write down a record rep's name. So we can keep that budget because I don't want you to lose that budget. Wow. So I did do that because my boss told me to. Right. Um, uh, but um, yeah, it was it was dirty and fun. That sounds horrible. It no, was but I know, dirty, it was like free. It was a talking, fun side. You I know you're saying it was free. It was like this open environment, and as long yeah. if you didn't go down that way, you could just experience the fun of it. I have great pictures with artists that I got to hang out with, you know, like when I was in Detroit, Bob Seeger, uh, his manager, Punch Andrews, and Bob lived three miles down the road from me in Detroit in a much better neighborhood than mine. 
but they would come by every holiday season. They would uh, give my entire staff fresh fruit for Christmas, boxes of it, and they would personally bring it to drop it off. And every show I remember in Detroit uh, with Bob Seeger, Punch would set me and my entire staff up with front row tickets to every show. Wow. And I was at Pine Knob, this venue outside of Detroit, and uh, Bob Seeger had like 50 people backstage outside under this tent. And he and I were just hanging out backstage. And he's like, Brian, Brian, I got to go do pictures and autographs. I'll be back in 10 minutes. And then he spent the next two hours with me just taking, you know, drinking beers because we were just hanging out, having fun. And he was just the nicest guy. And I got to hang out with so many artists like that. Mm -hmm. It was such a thrill to go out to dinner with them, Whitney Houston, Where yeah, me and Gloria Estefan, wow. there we go, um, me and Sting. And I got my wife the job there for the uh, to be the photographer for Sting Show. I had, uh, see, back then you had Paul yeah. as a program director, so. You know, wait, did, they, did these recording artists, they know about all the payola going on? Oh, Wow, I would think the recording so. artists. I'm just wondering if they knew about the. Book. I would think so because sometimes they were involved. Uh, okay, you know, uh, 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 he brought. Should you name names? Tiffany, I don't know. You remember Tiffany, the artist? Tiffany? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. She came by to sing in my office. Right. You know, so I mean, but that was nothing to do with payola. Right. If there was so much payola, then why? Um, I thought that guy was busted in the '60s, Alan something. Oh, one of. No, but I thought he was busted and then they like they blew it up and they're like, OK, this is it. That's, you know, and then. Oh, no, 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 no. It was rampant in the 80s. They so it's, it's like he, they busted that guy and then it just never stopped. No, there were there were many and many connected to the mob. I won't name any names. Right, of course there, was not. One, there was one guy. Um, there was a label and it was named for their name. It was named for their family name. Right. That's all I'll say. But the younger brother called me when I took over as program director in Detroit, and he was just really badgering me about adding a record. And then he finally said, well, Brian, I, that's what I heard about you. You know, your reputation is you don't. Do, I said, my reputation. I've Whoa. been here two weeks and I started yelling at him. I said, I have no reputation. I'm only two weeks old in this business. Right. And so the president, the big guy was very powerful he called me up and he apologized then made his younger brother apologize to me and stuff and they were very mob connected and i didn't know that at the time i right. wouldn't have screamed at him like that right but uh but he yeah, nothing happened to me obviously i'm of still course. here but uh they were they treated me with respect and it was a weird time but see, but year. you're saying that this payola, it was going on throughout the country. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. rampant. See, people yeah. don't talk about that because they talk about, I, I, gosh, who is the guy who was busted? You know what I'm talking about? That very popular DJ in New York. I'm going to look oh, him up. Yeah, but see, and, and that's the thing. Nobody got busted on the radio side except for him. Alan Freed. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's. But that was in the 50s, late yeah, 50s. That, uh, nobody in the 80s. Well, I, I know guys. Right. I still know them that nothing ever happened to them. They were investigated by the FBI. Okay. And um, 
you know, they were very careful how they accepted stuff and uh, uh, nothing ever happened to them. And I have no proof either. Right. Of course. So that's only speculation. It was a rare time that I ever came across really jerks in the business uh, mm-hmm. as far as artists go. I'm, I'm sure there were a few. I'm, no one's coming to mind. I'm trying to think. Oh, Whitney Houston was so sweet. We were the first, the first top 40 station to play her. That was 1985, I think, that she, yeah, that she broke into top 40 because the uh, urban stations were already playing her. She wasn't a big artist. And then we started playing her and she came in for an interview. This was before she was Whitney. Right. Uh, She came in with these ripped up jeans, a little white t-shirt and yellow sunglasses. And she comes and I was hosting the afternoon show and she came in for me to interview. And I'm like, oh, well, your mother was a gospel singer. And she wasn't, she one of the backup singers to Elvis. That must've been wonderful. Wow. Yes. (laughs) Also, she was very meek. Yeah. Well, so, um, you know, growing up in, in with gospel music that that probably influenced had a big influence on your, uh, you know, your first album. Uh, tell us about that. Yes. Whoa. It was the worst interview I ever gave. Oh, this is on the air. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was all live, oh, you know, wow. but she was so sweet and. And then the next year she exploded, you know, she was a big star and I Mm -hmm. went backstage. I can't remember which venue. I think it was Cobo Hall in Detroit. We went backstage with some winners and Whitney comes up, Brian, hey, you know, like this big star, you know, the hair's all done, all dressed up and she's a superstar now and big personality, totally different, but mm. it was interesting to see the growth there. And oh, what a talent. Yeah. Incredible. What a voice. Yeah. Oh. What a voice. But yeah. it's interesting that nobody really prepped her for public speaking or speaking on the radio or anything. No. And you didn't back then. I mean, you just, you know, you bring the artist in. It's like, you got to go, you got to go to the radio stations. You got to go to this one. They broke you into top 40. You got to go see them. And uh, you know, I mean, she just wasn't ready for it then. But, you know, obviously the superstar and then did movies and everything. Uh, she's just awesome. But so nice to see artists like that before they become big. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember, and probably not many people do, Corey Hart was an 80s artist who did Sunglasses at Night. Is yeah, that I remember right? that song. Yeah. yeah. So Corey is from Montreal and he had this old beat up Mazda. And when that song came out, he came, he drove down from Montreal to Detroit to do the interview with me. And I took a picture with him and uh, my midday guy at the time, um, who's a big uh, network news guy now, Doug Dunbar. He's out of ABC in Dallas. But we took this picture and I'm talking to Corey. I said, so what what, did you fly in this morning? Well, no, I drove down. And and then we went out to his car. This is old beat up Mazda. It's like, Corey, Man, you got money now. What do you? Why are you driving? He says, I don't want to waste my money on that. Ooh, it was very smart, but uh, he was smart with his money. Uh, that was cool to see him come down and do that. That he was so regular, regular guy. You right. know, Lionel no, Richie also very. Oh, you met him? Oh yeah, Lionel's the nicest wow. artist out there. Just like you've seen him on American Idol, exactly like that. That's not a a fake persona that he does for TV. He's just like that. 
when he comes in. He's just so sweet and kind and to every single person, you know, and makes sure he takes pictures and talks to everybody. Just so incredibly sweet, you know, and there were times I'm sure I was a jerk to people, especially back then when I was cocky and young. Well, you had power. I tried to be nice. You had pow- but you also had power. Yeah. And it gets to your head <laughs> and you're, you're doing interviews every week or every other week, at least with a, a trade magazine in the business. And uh, you start believing that press, you know, and you, oh, wow, I really must know what I'm doing. Wow. <laughs> no, I didn't, but it worked still somehow. I did have my, my strength was there were two strengths. I had a great ear and still do for music, I think, I think. <laughs> and I, I knew how to develop talent on the radio. I, I always worked with uh, our disc jockeys and critiqued them and, you know, built them up. You know, there was one guy, I remember, uh, just in a station in North Carolina when I was programming in uh, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. And this, this guy, he was a part-timer and the program director before me told me, yeah, he, he's a waiter. I, I've kept him on. You're, you're going to need to let him go. He, he sucks. He's horrible. And so I sat down with this kid and uh, I was like, hey, do, what, what do you want to do? Do you want to keep doing this? He said, yeah, I really do. I really do. And so I worked with him every day, every day. And uh, then I put him on overnights and then he just got better and better. Now he's like big DJ down there in North Carolina. But, uh, you know, it, my strength was I, I would take time to develop people and and give them a chance. I, I have helped a lot of people. And even people here in Chicago will tell you, uh, Lisa Costi, my sweet, dear friend, will always credit me with her job over it. Nice. She 100. But how, how do you, what advice do you have for people who do want to um, do well? Like what kind of advice did you give these people who, you know, maybe weren't that great? Or is it that they weren't really good or you saw something in them and then you developed them? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's seeing that spark in their eyes, that little sparkle. I was telling you uh, just the other day, a couple of days ago when we were talking about doing this, uh, Hannah B, who's working in one of the suburb stations here. What an incredible talent. What a great, enthusiastic. She is such a, she's got such a great attitude. She's grateful for every opportunity. She's so eager to learn and absolutely loves the business, which is so rare (laughs) for people her age, she's, uh, gosh, what a, you know, when you see someone like that, you want to do everything you can Mm -hmm. to help them develop. I don't care what kind of talent they have. Everybody who, if you have that kind of talent or that kind of passion Mm -hmm. to do something, you will be good at it eventually. If you Well, but it's also, it's also, you know, meeting good people like you, because there are people who do have passion, but there are people who, don't think they're, you know, too intense or they maybe favor somebody else just because, or so you really need good people to acknowledge that. Yeah, you do. You do. And there, there aren't enough of those people in our business. And I I think that's another problem with, was there more encouragement? Yeah. Oh yeah. And everybody wanted to be in this business back then. Uh, One of our employees at Odyssey, the uh, marketing director for XRT our station, our sister station, uh, Paul Weber, <laughs> he'll always, te- we're dear friends, but he always teases me. Evidently, when I was Brian Patrick back in the 80s at Z95.5 in Detroit, he would call every week, evidently, to try to 
get a job from me or uh, to interview with me. And evidently I didn't return his calls. I don't remember. But back then when I had an opening, you would literally get 200 cassettes, Mm -hmm. cassettes. Yeah. Tapes, cassettes of air checks of disc jockeys all over the country. People wanted so badly to get into our radio station. It was a good station. We had Dick Purton. And we were known all over the country. So I, I just don't remember him because I would go through cassettes. And, you know, if you didn't hear and back then, when you'd listen to an air check, you'd listen to the first break. If they didn't grab you, next. Yeah, what were you looking for? How did you know what a good air check just, was? You know, it's just a sound. It was just a sound. It, 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 and it depends. And everybody's so subjective. Uh, I, I would just listen for that right voice. I wanted to hear that right personality, that right, you know, grab me from the first break. Someone compelling. The biggest challenge that you would have is a top 40 jock or a pop jock today. The biggest challenge is squeezing in as much personality and being relevant yeah. in a 15 to 20 second intro. Yeah, that's a challenge. And that that was an art, especially back then, that you, you know, you were relevant. Every break meant something. What I would always tell my jocks and many people do today. If you don't have something relevant to say, I'd rather you just segue the song and play a jingle in between to promote the station. I don't want to hear you just say the call letters. Give me something relevant Every single break you do, make it mean something, even if it's just like it's fall and the time of year, fall. And, you know, one time, uh, one of my old bosses, uh, BJ, Barry, Barry James, who programmed us uh, at Hubbard in Bonneville, he's a good program director. He was tough, but he was good. And um, this one break we heard this guy do, he was just a quick little break. Oh, I stepped outside. You could hear the crunch of the leaves under my uh, feet. And uh, it was just a beautiful, crisp day, you know, and it, it was a, just a quick little break. But it's like he painted this great picture for us. That's good writing right there. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just a quick little break he did. Mm. And that's what, it, you know, we wanted our, our nice. uh, personalities to think before you go on. Don't just babble, make it mean something. But anyway. Wow. That's great. That's great advice. Also, that's true because somebody, I interviewed somebody a while ago. I forgot who it was, but they said it's sort of like Twitter. Mm -hmm. You have to be compelling in just a few Exactly. Exactly. And especially now that's, that's what it is. You are tweeting a message, make it count. Do you tweet and just say, hi, everybody? No. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, going, I'm going to super dog, you know, or (laughs) look at this, you know, um, they have to mean something, right? Yeah. You're listening to the Radio Girl Podcast with Margaret Larkin. And thanks to Jeff Davis, who's at jeffdavis.com. And I'm still doing live streams, so follow me on Twitter at Radio Girl Pod or join the Facebook page to see the streams. I'm also at youtube.com slash Margaret Larkin. What kind of advice did you get? Because obviously, so you went from Virginia, you went to Detroit Major Market, and you've worked at uh, WLS-FM. Actually, I did, a long time ago, I did interview Greg, Greg Brown. Oh, Greg Brown, yeah. Such a nice guy. One of the nicest ever. I know, and I, oh my gosh, I, I I could talk to him for a long time. It was for my podcast some years ago. 
And I he thought is there was the sweetest man. Yes. A, and yeah. I thought I thought, wow, this this station must be very special because they're employing somebody like this who's such a nice person, such a great voice, talent. Yeah. Oh, my well, God. WLS has had some incredible yeah. talent go through that radio yeah. station through the years. Yeah. They've yeah. gotten some of the best. Yeah. Some of the best. You know, but, when I was first there, uh, when I was doing nights there uh, a couple years back. Wait, when did um, you go there? When did you go to LSF? Oh, gosh, that was uh, four or five years, five years ago. You know, it, it, bouncing around places here in Chicago. I mean, I've been in Chicago since 1992. Uh, it was at Q101 when it was New Rock Alternative, when they first kicked it off. Wait, they are you were, talking about the 90s? You were, you were one of those original people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, because I remember I was living in Asia and I came back and I was really into alternative. And my brother oh, said, wasn't that a great station back then? It was good. But I was such a snob that I would say, oh, they're not going deep. They're playing the obvious hits. Whatever. <laughs> and I was yeah. such a snob, everybody. But uh, my brother was saying, yeah, there's a station and they're playing this music. And it was mind blowing back then. Oh, yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, you know who Mark Goodman is from the MTV? Days? Yes. Oh, my gosh. MTV. Yeah. One of the yeah, the curly hair guy. Yeah. 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 Mark, I. I just saw him recently in Nashville, but uh, Mark what? and I did a morning show together there. Wait, for... I should interview him for this. Uh... Oh, you should. You're naming Mark's... all these people. Oh, I've got, I've got to Mark get a list. Goodman has got great stories. Obviously, uh, he's he's a great jock. He's a great talent. He's on Sirius. He still ha- he has two different shows on Sirius. Of course, he does the '80s show because that was when he was on MTV. But he's also got an, uh, a talk show on there as well. He's 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 really good, really nice guy, really just, uh, you know, uh, great personality. And, well, and you feel that when you talk to him. But anyway, so sorry, what were you saying? So you're talking about LS. Um, you're talking about oh, when you. Yeah, no, when I first went there. So my studio where it is, we have uh, uh, the. The studio for the FM is in a great spot. It's in the corner of the NBC Tower. We overlook Chicago River in front of us and then to the side, Lake Michigan. So it's beautiful. Then next to that studio was the LS, and it still is the WLS AM studio. And Steve Dahl was still there. And and our own, um, our network uh, news person from Chicago that does on uh, network news on WBBM. She works for CBS, though. Jennifer, Jennifer Kuiper. I love Jennifer Kuiper. She is awesome. Um, her I only knew her a- from Steve Dahl's show. And I would go in uh, right before I'd go on the air because Steve was finishing up his show and I would hang out with them. And and he knew who Dick Purton was and he was a big fan. So we would talk old stories. Because he used to that. he used to be in Detroit. Steve Dahl was yeah. in Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. He and he would never uh trash uh Dick Purton. I told Steve Dahl that. I said, you know. When you did that whole slam on Howard Stern yeah. and all these different DJs, and then you got to Dick Purton's name and you said, no, I could never slam Dick Purton. He's wonderful. Wow. And I told him, I said, you know, Dick Purton heard that and he really respected you after that. And he was like, really? Because he was a big fan of Dick Purton, too. He says, man, next time you talk to him, tell him I said hello and that I am still a big fan of his. Wow. And it was cool. Steve Dahls just Oh, wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Okay, it was irreverent and so entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Steve Dahl, one of a kind. But so so when you were so you went to LS, but then where were you before LSFM? Okay, so I was where we are now. Same floor, ninth floor of uh, Prudential 2 there. Uh, I was working at 104.3 WJMK. 
because Greg Salk, our boss now, brought me over and he will cringe that I'm even bringing it up because he brought me over to work middays. It was a classic hit station. Two weeks later, they blew up the format and everybody got fired. Uh, and he was like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea they were going to do this. And he was so apologetic. And I was like, Greg, it's not, I'm glad you brought me over here. And they ended up keeping me for six months because uh, Ed Lover came in from the MTV days doing mornings on the news station, WBMX, the classic uh, urban hits. I, I don't know what you exactly call the format, but uh, that's still around today. And Ed Lover is still on the air there with Jen BT. Um a great show and Ed Lover. So, yeah. Oh my goodness. Talk about stories. Right. Yeah. Tupac and all the, you know, yeah. he knew everyone and does know everyone. And Mike Tyson and he are great pals in the stories I would hear all the big rappers. He knew them all, interviewed okay. them all, hung with them, fought with them. Okay. Uh, no, Ed Lover's great. But anyway, they kept me six months to get him started on the morning show. So I helped out his producer to get it rolling then I went over to WLS after that. So, but then you said you're also at Bonneville when, I mean, I, I'm confused oh, about I, your. Okay. So I started, I was at Q101, MS Broadcasting at the time, Q101 when it was new in 92 to 96. Oh yeah. My question is uh, what was it like to be a Q101? That was the heyday. Okay. Oh my gosh. Um, and I'll keep this clean. I had just divorced. My first wife left me. I was so brokenhearted. I dated a lot. I'll just say it that way. I dated a lot. I was, you know, devastated and I needed to lift my spirits. And Q101 was the coolest radio It was the coolest. On the planet. It was like K-Rock. Well, K-Rock, I think, was above it, but it was sort of like the K-Rock of the rest of the country. K-Rock yeah. is in L.A. That was alternative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was better than K-Rock, but K-Rock's great. Yeah, I, I admit but man, it was awesome. And back then, again, radio was rele relevant and people knew me there. They knew me and uh, it, it was, you know, clubs I never paid for, didn't pay for drinks, didn't, uh -huh. you know, you, you hung out and you did appearances at these places. I remember at uh, Lucky's, this was this hip club actually on West Institute and wells in oh Chicago. my gosh that's near me yeah i know where that yeah, is. it was kind of hidden though it was a yeah. very cool club and uh scott braverman owned it uh who i became friends with our kids went to the same school here uh or in old town so scott hired me uh every friday night to do appearances when i was at q101 just to hang out and buy women drinks and flirt with them and get on the stage intro the band and just be nice with people. And I mean, it was the coolest club. Mm -hmm. He would have a line for two blocks to get in there. And all the big stars came, the athletes. We, we had Scotty Pippen. We'd keep a table for all these different athletes that would come in and they'd shoot pool and, you know, no one would bother them. You didn't, oh, hey, can I have you? It, it was a cool club. Uh, Sandra Bullock, when she was uh, filming While You Were Sleeping. Remember, the, did you ever see yeah. that movie? I, I No, I didn't see it, but I know. It, it was cute. It's a cute movie filmed here. And it was her birthday. And uh, she was so sweet and just hanging out. We, you know, 
all the celebrities never paid for anything. Mm -hmm. And so my job was just to go around, flirt with women, buy them drinks, keep everybody happy and intro the bands. And they paid me a lot of money to do that every Friday. And it was fun. So, yeah, I, I, now I've forgotten the original question, but it was just. So well, no, I was fun. asking you because I remember that station. Um, no, what was it like? Because that station it was, was it was great. It yeah. was great to, to work at Q101 back in their heyday. It it had a lot of benefits. It was so cool. I skydived for the first time live on the air on Q101. Wow. At Skydive Chicago out uh, in Oswego, I think it is. And uh, they put the phone in my pocket on my arm and they took me up extra high. And I had a tandem jumper with me, mm -hmm. but we jumped out of the plane. And he said, just you know, let's go up higher and I'm going to pull soon. So you'll have extra time. And I did it live with Steve Fisher was one of our jocks, great jock on Q101. And we did it live on the air back then that, you know, you don't do that anymore. You don't do that, but we now have social media and we have digital and people are doing yeah. all kinds of things live. So, but anyway, so, um, so, you know, in your radio career though, um, cause it's very interesting. You have such a huge career. When you were doing it and you were meeting different people, did you think my goal is to do da da da? Like, so for instance, you were first on the air and then you became a program director. Mm -hmm. So did, then did you think, okay, my, my goal is to be a general manager or did you just want to have fun in radio or what was your goal? You know, well, okay. And I, I was, I wanted to be a big program director and I was for a little while, right. uh, but then my first marriage broke up and I, you know, I didn't stick with it. And even Greg Salk asked me that once, our boss now. I interviewed with him for a program director position uh, way back when. And he says, dude, I, I can't go to our, pre and this wasn't with Odyssey. This was with Hubbard. He says, I can't go to Jenny with you. You haven't programmed for years. Why did you stop? And I told him, I said, well, I went through a divorce and I, and I was depressed and I I just gave it up. And all I wanted to do was just be a jock because it was simpler just to be a radio personality on the air. And I didn't want to deal with the headaches anymore. There were a lot of headaches involved with being a program director. And yeah, I just want to have fun at that time. That's what I was thinking. I just wanted to have fun on the radio. It was easy. And I was able to support myself and my kids doing that in, especially as an ex-husband supporting my kids and now my new kids. But yeah. it's interesting because you were you said you were depressed and stuff, but then you scored one of the best gigs in the entire nation. Mm -hmm. So yeah. your demo must have been amazing. No, <laughs> what? no, uh, because the program director at the time, I went to him and uh, he says, I will tell you now, you're a top 40 jock. We need laid back rock jocks. You're not what I'm looking for. Wow. I'll, I'll give you part time. But you're not going to. And the reason I came here, by the way, I had a deal signed with a New York uh, radio station, actually in Long Island. It was the number two station there to do mornings. And I told my first wife, I said, well, I will pay for you and the kids. It was a good contract. I will pay for you and the kids. I'll, I'll get you a house in Long Island. And, you know, you guys will live there. To, so you'll stay close to me so I can keep seeing the kids. And, you know, we can still do the shared custody thing. And uh, last minute, she decides she's coming back home to Chicago. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I can't be away from my kids. And I called the, the company and they were so mad at me because I already signed. They could have uh. sued me. 
but they let me out of it. And I came here with no job and uh, just BS my way into part-time. And he said, well, I'll bring you in part-time, but I'm not going to give you full-time. But what's interesting though, is he gave you part-time, even though he didn't like your sound and actually was the, was the radio station in Long Island. Were they top 40? Yeah, they were top 40. So how did and, he give you a part-time job if he didn't like your sound? Uh, he just, out of pity, probably. Um, <laughs> he, he gave me a part-time job and, and then he liked the way I sound. Uh, I sounded. And he, uh, six months later, it wasn't even six months. It might've been six months. He, I was back in North Carolina before uh, my first wife was getting ready to move back to Chicago. So I'm, I'm there visiting my kids and the phone rings and he says, boy, never thought I'd be saying this, but yeah, um, I want you to work noon to three. Whoa. Noon to three, do an hour of production, making commercials and doing whatnot and going out on the street, getting recordings for our sound bites and stuff and uh, got full-time right there. That's incredible. And they were great That's like a miracle. That was great hours. And then became a co-host with Mark Goodman in the morning. Uh, then he fired me from that because he fired Mark. When we got back, we were there during uh, 1994 Winter Olympics in Lillehammer. And we broadcast live from there, Mark and I did. And when we came back, we got fired. And he fired Mark. And he says, Brian, I got to fire you because I fired Mark. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you severance. And then I'm going to bring you back for fill-in the same day. So Wait, I, don't get why me, he had to, I don't get why he had to fire you because it was he just his him. thing. He says, nah, I got to blow it all up. I can't what? keep you, you know, if I, I'm starting fresh. And so he did. And then he brought me back to do part-time and he promised me, he says, I'll make sure you make as much as you did, if not more wow. than when you were on the morning show. And he did. And for That's the longest like- time from 94 to 96, and then uh, the mix uh, 101.9 called me up and uh, they wanted to hire me. And so I went over there for a lot more money and uh, it was great. And then we took off. The mix was in the dumps back then. Um, and then is it the late 90s? Yeah, that was 1996. That was 1996, August 1996, August 12th. I was hired 1996 at the mix and I was there for 20 years between oh the two stations, uh, the mix and 100.3. So did they call you because they liked how you sound? I mean, this, this sounds yeah. like your entire yeah, they wanted, career. See, and that's the funny thing. Uh, when I was at Q101, they thought I was too corny, too top 40. But then when the mix called me, oh, he's a cool jock. We need him over here. Wow. And uh, they started their new format in 96, which was the hot, hot AC. They were a boring AC at the time, very wishy-washy. And then uh, Barry James came in and he did a great job. He brought in Eric and Kathy. <laughs> you know, all the scandal with that, uh, whatever. I did. Well, they were very popular for 20 years. Oh, they were huge. Yeah. And, and BJ and I, I remember listening to Eric's cassette air check in the office and we were listening to air checks and we we're like, yeah, I, yeah. He says, what do you think of this? Yeah, I like this guy. And I knew Kathy Hart. She worked for me in North Carolina. Wow. Yeah. She was my music director and my sidekick on the air. Brian and Kathy in the morning, G105. And uh, we had a morning show down there. Um, yeah, it's a small world. It's a yes. small world. Yes. Uh, but we built that. And, and BJ did a great job building that morning show. He, you know, we did the billboards, the TV ads, and they became the biggest morning show here. 
mm-hmm. until, you know, whatever happened. When you said there's a small world, and so you saw you worked with one person in one market, then you saw them in another market. Were you afraid that they would tell things to other people about what you'd done? Oh, no, I was never like that. I mean, okay. you know, no. And I, I never burned my bridges either. Maybe in Columbus, Ohio with that one what, program director. But What's an example of burning a bridge in the business? Okay. I'll give the, the one bridge I did burn, which I didn't care and it didn't mean anything, was in Columbus. And this guy, I thought, you know, how cheap. He first he demoted me, took me off middays, put me at night, even though I was the number one midday guy in Columbus. Why'd he do that? Didn't like me. And he was just he he had this power trip. And in yeah. my opinion, I'll just say in my opinion. Right. And everybody else's. But um <laughs> Finally, you know, he started, they wanted to get rid of me, I think, because the program director who hired me got fired. So I was associated with him and they knew I was loyal to him. So they wanted me out. So he kept trying to, he would assign commercials for me to record that ran that night on my show, knowing that I did production after my show. So he could set me up to fire me for not getting the commercial done. And it was just really cheap stuff like that. And finally, I called him into the general manager's office and the general manager was in on it too anyway, but he didn't like me. I said, this guy's trying to get me fired. And I said it right in front of him. I said, you put that in there intentionally. I'm done with you guys. I'm out of here. That's burning a bridge. That's why I'm wondering if you believe now what you believed back then, how would you proceed through the business? I know that you weren't corrupt, but I'm just wondering how would you respond to people or? I, you know, I wouldn't have been so promiscuous back then uh, as I was. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. And just... Was that common? Was that common with people in the business back then? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The business now is so different. Oh, yeah. I don't know it as you're describing it. I have no idea. I like it. I like working in it. So. Yeah. Uh, no, I, it, and yeah, and it's totally different. Uh, Mary Ellen, our program director at The Mix uh, for so many years, and now she works for Cumulus uh, in Rhode Island. But she would tell me, she says, oh, man, you and I are the same age, but I came into the business after all the fun stuff that you got to go through. And it's true, because by the 90s, it was still fun, but totally different business. And the payola definitely was gone by then or mostly gone by then. Is this after the radio? Why do you think it disappeared? The payola? Well, because they, the industry protected itself against it. So, you know, before we could just say, oh, I'm playing this record, but there was no proof of it. You could just add it to your playlist oh. to get the credit. Then they came out with monitoring so they know exactly <laughs> what hits are. And that's, you know, billboard charts, all those charts changed after that because the charts before were just whatever program directors said they were playing. Then it became reality. You know, it's it's like- Like the data, the data was more- Yeah. Digital data, yeah. Yeah, and so that kind of cut it away. So you couldn't cheat as much anymore. And they just got wiser about it and weeded it out. And that's a good thing that we don't have that. Uh, I, I don't think we do anymore. I mean, I'm sure it still exists to some extent, but not like it did back in the 80s. That's yeah. for sure. No, but okay. Well, so what's it like to work in um, news radio, you know, doing traffic and work in music radio? Like, what's the difference? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, because I have no experience at this. Okay. And, and people go, oh, you're doing traffic. <laughs> do you know how? It's hard. Okay. 
BBM, and I will brag about my uh, co-workers, my co-reporters uh, over at BBM. Man, you know, Bo Duran in the morning is a master yeah. at that. And he's got a good personality. He's not a dull traffic reporter. Right. And I think that's the reason I was brought over here, a top 40 jock coming in to do reporting, just to add a little life mm -hmm. to it. It's hard because we have like 15, and I mean 15 monitors, police fire from different districts, IDOT, uh, dot, and all these that we have to listen for crashes and for car chases and all these things. And then all these uh, video monitors. Mm -hmm. We have so many sources that we have to keep track with while we're reporting because this is the most, now I really am selling, the most accurate traffic reporting anywhere, hands down in the country. I will guarantee you BBM's the best. And it's well thought out. It's, they have worked at this for a long time. It's a hard job. Mm -hmm. And it's been fun reinventing myself at 62 years old. Yes, old dogs can new, uh, learn new You're tricks. not old. Old to me is like 90. 62 well, is the new 40. It's all, yeah, it's all uh, uh, mental anyway, right? I still act like a kid. Again, I'm married <laughs> to a child psychologist. It works well. But um, it's such a, I, I love that I'm doing something new, you know, totally new. And I'm having fun with it. I was on last night, seven to midnight, reporting traffic. And, you know, I had this, uh, oh, this is car fire. Then this semi caught fire underneath the uh, Hubbard Street Tunnel. And, you know, then we had this other wreck and then a car chase over. And you're just, your adrenaline's running because you're trying to keep up with everything. And it, it was just fun. And I love working with the other reporters last night. One of my anchors was Varen Black, who oh, yeah. works for us yeah. at BBF. She's yeah. awesome. She sound, and she sounds incredible. Oh, she does. And she is, see, the reason she and I work so well together, she's so exact. Okay, Brian, she'll go on the inner. Brian, can you give me about 45 seconds on this one? Uh, and hit right at, uh, you know, uh, 49.50, 49 and 50 seconds. Yep, you got it. And, you know, because she's so exact on hitting her times, and I am too, I'm very well, the clock uh, anal, there is very tight. No, the uh, clock there is very tight. Yes. So, yeah, and I, I love to hit everything. I, I never show up late, knock on wood. I'm very exact with my time. And so is Varen. So we, we do so well with that. And then there's Jim Goodis. Oh, what a legend. Got to work with him last night. And you know, just everybody. And it's live and it's live. It's so it's fun. That's live. why I like it. Yeah. It's all live. And you're, right. you know, you're just, you're dancing on your feet because you, yeah. you don't know what's going to happen next and how you're going to, you know, because it is live and, and stories and news happens live. It's whatever's going on mm -hmm. and it's exciting. I love it. I love it. But what about, you know, the quote unquote fun that you talk about back in the day? I know I'm obsessed with this fun concept because everybody tells me who's older. They always say, yeah, it used to be fun. It, it used well, to be fun. I'm like, I'm actually having fun. I'm having yeah, fun. And I am so, still, you know, I'll, but, I'll work. Uh, I'll be on today, uh, one to six on 94.7 WLS. But I and I still love doing that. It's just back in the day when it was all live and it was all you, you weren't fun. owned by big corporations. Well, you were yeah. owned by corporations, but. They didn't own that many stations and there right. was true competition, man. Yeah, that's what it is. So you're, so you're saying that radio used to be incredible because it was live. It was 
it was more competitive because competitive. Okay. it yeah. wasn't watered down like it is now where you have the same right. owner of okay. all these different stations and it's not as competitive as it was. So it's not as good as it was. It's kind of like having a monopoly, you know, right. back when uh, there was one cable company or one, you know, whatever, you know, and they had the monopoly of the business. And so they had these huge prices. Mm. Uh, well, same with radio, except that Back when there was so much competition, you couldn't have the monopoly. You had to fight mm -hmm. every other station. You had to, you know, get that audience. You had to be great. Let me know what you think. Email me at margaret at radiogirl.us. You can also call or text me at 716-202-TALK. That's 8255. And like the Radio Girl Facebook page. You can find out about who's coming up next, see pictures, listen to audio, and more. <laughs>